For those of you looking to take your frothy equity out of the stock market, 401k, or primary residence, let's hop on a quick intro strategy call. Just do me a favor and listen to the first dozen podcasts so we can really get down to business so we don't have to talk about the weather because you don't want to hear about weather in Hawaii. Book a call at simplepassacashflow.com slash talk. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we have Fortnite champion Jason here. <laughs> no, he's just borrowing his uh, kid's headset. <laughs> <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> he volunteered to do a little coaching uh, session so that you know people can get a sense of you know maybe apply themselves to one of these situations. Um, I think today's going to be you're kind of right in the middle there, Jason. You're not a broke guy that I talk to who's just you know been working for five years or less, and you're not one of these guys with a million or two or like thirty-five grand coming in every month. We just had one of those guys. <laughs> You're just like, you're, you're sort of like me, actually, just kind of a grinder right in the middle. But how about we um, start off with the with the top, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then how you kind of got started in investing, because, you know, this, you've got a few properties, so you're not a newbie here. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I'm Jason Painter. I'm from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, born and bred here. I currently work at the nuclear plant that's close to uh, this area which uh, gives me a uh, pretty uh, decent income for this part of the world. I'm, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll say like I'm making about $120,000 from that job, which again is, is a great salary for this part of the world. And it's, it's been able to help give me some extra income to be able to put into passive income that I've been trying to get. What's gotten me down the passive income is you know, it's just the typical grind of the W-2 job, some of the uncertainties that come with the W-2 job, you know, some of the lack of the c- control, I guess, that you have over your W-2 job uh, has what's led me into passive income. And so good so how, how is like, you know, how's the job these days and has it kind of improved over the last five, 10 years in terms of difficulty and, you know, just the energy that it takes? So the job that I currently have at the nuclear plant, I'm in uh, nuclear operations, and that's just uh, exactly how it said we uh, are in charge of operating the plant. My schedule is a swing shift schedule, so that's kind of a big drawback about the job. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, secondly, there's not really a lot of room for growth. You know, I, I've tried to find other jobs uh, within the plant. And, you know, we get kind of short staffed and we have to meet a certain number of people to fill the shift. And so when it comes down to it, they're not really willing to let people out of operations. So in a way, it's, it's pretty much a, a dead end job. I mean, if I don't stay on the path of nuclear operator, um, then there's really not, not many options beyond that. So Right. And I think a lot of people have this... Um this kind of predicament, you, you get into kind of a niche occupation. You, um, it's not like you can go and do something else in another industry. You're kind of pigeonholed in that, that job. Yeah, and no, role. That, that is exactly right. There, 
you know, there are about a hundred units across the nation, nuclear units. And uh, there are two others uh, close to this area, uh, you know, within a few hours driving distance, but it would require relocating. And, you know, I don't want to relocate. Um, you know, this job, the job that I have now was something that I sort of uh, fell into through uh, a network. I'm not an engineer by trade. I, I was not in the Navy. Um, I actually have a degree in ornamental horticulture. Uh, my parents have a retail nursery here town. That was kind of uh, my background through landscaping. Actually, I was landscaping for this guy who had a job there at the nuclear plant and he's the one that got me on there. So that's how I ended up there. And, you know, like you said, I, I mean, there, <laughs> it's a total niche job. That's for sure. <laughs> well, cool. So you started, you own a few rentals now. How long ago did you start and, and what, what was your steps first steps? I started back in 2016. My first steps were just uh, starting to absorb all the information I could. Actually, one of the first things I really started getting into were the podcast, namely the Bigger Pockets podcast. And then from there, um, I just kind of started uh, branching out. You know, one podcast begat another one. So it was a lot of education is what I'm getting at um, at first, you know, just kind of gathering information. And then last, uh, let's see, la uh, at the first of 2017, uh, we bought another home. We kept our original primary residence and turned that into the rental. That was the first rental we had. And by we, I mean my wife and I. And then last year, uh, I got two more properties to add to the portfolio. I was always frustrated by the numerous investing education programs out there who gouge their investors, charging them $5,000, $10,000, even $40,000. I don't know about you, but I thought it was completely wrong when they tricked people, actually had them call their credit card providers to get a credit line increase to pay for the program. Many of these people could not afford these expensive coaching options and should have used it as a down payment for the first investment. If someone only had 20 grand, they should use that to buy a rental to get started. Let me make one thing clear. Our mastermind is not for you if you're broke. It's a cost-effective way to mitigate mistakes when building your portfolio. People in this group are going to be a pre-selected population of professionals and high net worth individuals. You'll be a good in company. That is after you apply and get in at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey. And yeah, if you're lonely and struggle to find motivated friends who want to do more than sit at their W-2 jobs, collecting a paycheck, then go home and watch Netflix all day because all they can afford is $8.99 a month on their digital entertainment budget, then this is a place for you too. Simplepassacashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. So when you started this, um, you know, how much liquidity, where did the, the down payments come for these, these properties? Were you just kind of sitting on cash? Yeah. I really was never at a point where I had a whole lot of cash. Uh, what I did have was a lot of equity in our last house. And I used a home equity loan uh, from that house. The way the uh, real estate market has gone here as of late, um, you're either going to sell it for really high or the house that you own is going to appraise for probably way more than what you have into it, most likely, especially if you own it for any amount of time. The last uh, residence we had, I bought back in uh, 2005. So 
by the time uh, we moved out in 2017, there was a ton of equity in it. So anyway, we borrowed uh, our, I got a home equity loan started against that. And that's what I've been using to uh, fund the down payments for these houses. Do you recall how much was the, the max capacity you could take out? Uh, the max of the home equity loan? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 80, 82.5, I think, is the, the total total okay. available. And that was uh, like a, like 80% loan to value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so the process there is just like uh, if you get uh, a, a mortgage on a primary residence, um, you know, you'll get traditional mortgages, 80% loan to value. Um, the same kind of applies with the home equity loan. You get uh, 80% of the equity in that case. So, you know, I guess there was a hundred thousand of equity is what, you know, the appraisal came back, I guess around hundred, well, it came back at 165 and then um, I forget how they got to 82. It, you know, there's roughly 80% of the equity. Yeah. I think, I think what they do is like they, they take your appraisal and then they subtract, they take 80% of that and then they subtract your current mortgage amount, how much you owe. And then that's how they come up that. Yeah. And I guess you can talk about if you're going to, if you went into kind of the turnkeys after that, but you know, that's sort of enough to buy maybe two, three houses. So what was your, your kind of next steps and you know, how did you kind of come to that next buy? I still um, had uh, money available. So at this point, that home equity loan is maxed out because I bought two houses uh, with that. Now the uh, criteria I've been following for the the last two rentals that I bought, and really this fell in with the same uh, with the the first rental that we had, which was our former primary residence. They're both houses, or all three are houses that were around 150 for uh, acquisition, and they rent for about 1500 in this area. So the one uh, percent uh, rent to value sort of falls into play there which uh, with the other two houses lent, lends itself to about a $30,000 down payment. Um, and then there was some rehab involved with, well, about 3000 in the first one, the first one of last year, and then about roughly 9000 uh, with the one at the end of last year. So by the time I've gone through the down payment and the rehabs, that's what's maxed it all out. Right. And both of those deals were local in Chattanooga. Yeah, I've I've been sticking strictly to being a local investor. I I do from time to time try to find things outside of this area, but but as of now, everything's local. Yeah, and and that's usually the you know when I have calls with folks, it's kind of I, I get a sense of where you're at, and I don't know Chattanooga too well, but I know enough that to know it's a lot better chance of finding something that cash flows in California. I mean, if you're in California, Washington, Portland, Hawaii, you don't got a shot. Just, you got to go out of state, get a turnkey. But, um, you know, this is one of the things is your advantage here. Yeah. And actually there are a lot of out of state investors, uh, you know, from bigger markets that come into this area. I mean, it's, so Chattanooga is, if you look at the county as a whole, which is called Hamilton County, um, there's about, I think, 350,000 people. 
to find a house that's around $150,000 is just your typical three bedroom, two bath. Chattanooga is, you know, probably the average income is the forty to $50,000 range. Uh, you know, that, that buys you a pretty decent life around here. So. Yeah. So I see your, your properties and you mentioned the, per, the, the total value is like around 120 or so. And I'm just looking at some of the rents here, 1100, 1500. So you're kind of staying in some of the better parts, right? Like, you know, maybe B plus a minus type. Good. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, I mean, I, I've always considered them more of a B class, but to be honest with you, there's probably a lot of them that push an, an a class. Yeah. Uh, the our first home that we turned into a rental, the one that was uh, renting at 1100 um, it's in a part of town that's in a really, really hot market right now. The homes in that area were built in the 40s. It's kind of a, it's like a trendier area with those older sort of craftsman style homes. You know, people are looking for that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of home. And then as a side note on, on this one right here, this one we rent to my in-laws and so it would rent for a lot more, but you know, they're, they're kind of getting a sweetheart deal and you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of maintenance free issue or, you know, not having a whole lot of maintenance issues, uh, you know, that comes with that 1100. If we were renting to someone else, that would be an easy $1,500 a month house, if not maybe even 16 or 17, just, just because of the area. Right, right. And then I, the I, other two, I don't want to out you on on a recording here, but if it is a family, you know, maybe a good idea would be to just take the money under the table and then not write any of the deductions off. But it, 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 that's a good idea if you're going to sell it pretty quickly. But, yeah, uh, right. And I, I understand your point there. What I'm, I've really tried to do on this stuff is uh, keep everything out there. So, you know, hopefully like down the road, it helps build credit. You know, I can use it to be more bankable, um, that kind of thing. So, um, and plus on, on this house right here on this East Daytona house, um, there are a lot of tax deductions that we were, or depreciation that, that we have never taken on the house. And, you know, we're getting some of the benefits off of that as well. Because our, our tax liability just off of our W-2 is pretty high. So we'll kind of, I'll kind of go over the overview here. This is the personal financial sheet summary. And just to get a, a sense of where you're at. I mean, look, your assets here are mostly because you've got the, the, the properties, which is kind of negated by the mortgages you have, um, which is a good thing, I, in my opinion. I mean, you're effectively leveraged, right? It's not like you've got dead cash or lazy equity. Right. Um, you're a little thin on a cash at hand. I mean, you're probably in the mode to go buy that next one, which is makes total sense, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's the, the grinder mentality at this point, right? You just got to save up on, for more down payment money for the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's your guys' financial sources of cash. And then I'm just kind of just spot checking, living inspection and expenses. And um, how, much, how much money are you guys able to save at the end of the year as you figure it's kind of the main thing I well, use. I mean, you're going to you know, go on a vacation. You're going to buy a couple of nice things. But at the end of the year, how much are you pretty confident you can kind of sock away? 
the real number that we're socking away is what we end up with in the 401k at the end of the year. And that is, uh, it's like 14, 15,000, I think is what we end up putting, putting away in that. I'm actually looking at doing a whole life insurance policy, uh, which I'm getting pretty close to getting set up. And then as of now, I'm looking at put 10,000 a year into that. So all told, right. So my idea here is the fidelity account, the 401k, I think you got to cut that off and possibly cut off the, the whole life so you can, can keep getting the cash on hand to be investing it in cash flowing deals. Because I, I suspect that you're getting a higher return on that than the, uh, the retirement account and the whole life. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, the problem, that, that's the problem with the whole life, right? I mean, that's what I did. I, I put away you know, 50 grand my first year and 30% of it goes away in year one to fees. That's mm-hmm. like, half, you know, that's $15,000. That's like half of a turnkey rental, right? That's, yeah. you know, if, you, if a turnkey rental is getting you two to 300 a month, you know, that's like a hundred, 150 a month that I'm not getting because I socked it away in a whole life. It's, it's infinite banking is great, but it's more for guys who have a substantial amount of net worth that are, that they need a debt, that extra um, place of store cash in interim. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the conundrum I'm at. So yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about this. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because I I am kind of coming to a crossroads. Uh, so this is a great discussion for me to have. For one, with the Fidelity account, um, one of my concerns there of you know backing away from that is if I don't put the eight hundred a month roughly, or it's like eight hundred thirty a month. See, is that right? Yeah. 830 a month that I put in, if I don't do that, then I don't get the company match. Okay. What, what is that? Like part, three, part of the goal. 3% percent or 6%? What is the? No, the 6%. 6%. And then they'll, yeah. they'll do it dollar for dollar or 50 cents a dollar or something like that. Uh, I think it's, do- it's dollar for dollar. Okay. It's dollar for dollar. So that's the thing. I put in 833, they put in 833. So if I start backing off of that, then, you know, a lot of that goes away. So um, I, I will, um, I'll give you that, you know, do the 6%, get the f- quote unquote free money. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I hate it, but I, <laughs> I, it's hard, you know, it just the facts of it, it seems to yeah. point in that direction. But I mean, that's only 6%. Are you putting, going to put any more than that? Or is that? No, I'm just saying at the minimum, at the minimum. Okay. Match. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, I can put in what way more than that, but I don't want to. I'm, and it's not so much that the biggest problem I have with the 401k, and I, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but in studying over the 401k in the past year or two, which I've, I've kind of been more aware before I just, I put the money in there and just forgot about it. Right. Um, now I've gotten a little bit more cognizant of what's going on and how it works and those kinds of things. But I've come to realize, I mean, the value, the way that the thing has grown has been from the money that, that me and my employer has put in there. You know, <laughs> a lot of it is not based on the returns, you know, from the market. And, you know, you look at it some years or some days, of course, and it's like 40% return. But, you know, if you looked at it back in 08, 10, you know, those time frames, you yeah. know, it's like 
negative 20, negative 40. So, um, but I mean, that, that's a big angst I have about that is the value comes from the money I put in there. It's not the return. But another angst I have about that is that money is locked away. I can't do anything with it. I can get, I can get a personal loan uh, up to 50,000 for it or out of it. But when you pay yourself back, it's like if I did the $50,000, it's like 800 something dollars a month that I would have to pay back. So if I were to say, you know, borrow the money to get to use for a down payment, the payback on that would be so expensive. It makes it prohibitive to use it to acquire some kind of passive income. Right. Right. I, I think you kind of hit it on the head. Like you have to wait to get at that money in the future. Yeah, I mean, 59 and a half, and I'm 41. So, <laughs> it's yeah. a long time away, right? <laughs> That's the way I definitely have feel about it. So, I mean, the, so, the, other, the other point is, you know, the, the 401k, you're, you know, it's not really tax shelter. You're going to pay taxes on it now or later, right? I personally would rather pay taxes now because I'm poorer now. I'm in a lower tax bracket because I project in the future, I'll, I'll be in a much higher one. And irregardless of that, the government has to pay back all this quantitative easing. So they've mm-hmm. got to inflate the money supply to pay off the debt. So it only makes sense that overall taxes will be going up. And that's been the trend. Um, I'm a little bit nicer than you in terms of, you know, I give the, the 401k a little bit more benefit of the doubt. I still think in my back of my head, it's a good for about 8% on a long time horizon. But, you know, when you're investing in real estate, like how you've kind of proven it already, I mean, you're making like 15, 20, 25, even 30%. Well, are you talking about on the real estate? Yeah, in the real estate. Like if you add in the taxes and inflation and things like that, you mean? Yeah, and the mortgage pay down that your tenant pays you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that for sure. So, and, you know, back to the 401k, I, I mean, I agree with you there. It's kind of like, I'm sort of stuck with it, I guess. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing now. I mean, you're just putting the minimum. I mean, what's, what's in the past is in the past. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, that kind of leads me to this uh, crossroads with this uh, whole life insurance, because Right now, I'm showing 4000 on this uh, life insurance on the sheet here. And some of that is uh, from the deposits that I've taken off the rental houses. So I'm thinking, hey, that money's just sitting there. You know, why not get something out of it? That, that's one of my angles with the whole life insurance. One, another really big thing is kind of a retirement savings vehicle. But at the same time, you know, it's something that I can get money out of uh, later on as the cash value builds. That's that's something that's that's really intriguing about yeah. you know, trying to use it. The, the cash value will build, but it will pale in comparison to the value of your real estate holdings if you would have took that money and put it in that. And I think these these life insurance guys, they, they're all really like, cookie on how they give you all these fancy spreadsheets, but nobody gives you the opportunity costs if you would have put it in real estate instead. Mm, yeah. Right. Um, I, I and, think that I mean, I, honestly, 
I think that when you, the situation comes in, when you start using the whole life is like, once you've had about, you know, five, six houses and you're kind of just, you're able to save that $30,000 for the next house pretty frequently, like, you know, a couple times a year. And this will help you smooth out your liquidity curve. Yeah. You know, I guess really the big thing about the whole life is kind of uh, what you alluded to when we first started talking about it. Like, it does make more sense when you have a lot of cash sitting around, you know, not not really doing anything. Um, I don't, $4,000 is not really a lot of cash. Like, yeah. that's something I could either apply to pay down these home equity loans or pay down some of these credit cards that I have, that kind of thing. Yeah, and and, you know, don't, Oh, if something happens to you, I hope so nobody comes and finds me and says, dang it, I'm going to have to get that life insurance. But this is not, we're not talking about life insurance. We're just talk, calling it life insurance for so we don't get taxed on it. The purpose of this thing is not for the death payout. It's right. to their money. And as a side note, I have a short-term policy. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't need life insurance. I, I'm insured by the short-term policy that I carry through work which right. actually is, is really, really affordable. I, I think the whole thing for, to, you know, for, it's like a $500,000 death benefit. I'm talking about the short term now. Yeah. The term life one. Or term life. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's, it's about a 500,000 payoff uh, death benefit. It also gives me 25,000 uh, for my wife and 25,000 for my kid. And that cost me a whopping like $13 a month, which I mean, the little bit I've shopped that around, I think is, is really cheap. Yeah. So I have, I have life insurance. I don't need this for death benefit. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, another, another concept I'm learning about that you might want to do more reading on as well. I, there's this thing called like a jailbreak 401k. Okay. You know, it doesn't sound like you're going to move from your job, right? So there's no chance of you getting at that. But once once you do move, give me a call up. We'll set up a QRP for you. But in in some states, normally red states, there's this thing called a jailbreak. And supposedly you can assign it to somebody else. And in this case, you to get it out. It's kind of this quirky <laughs> thing where like in you know, everybody was getting divorces in these red states. And then, you know, in the settlement, they had to split apart the 401k. So they were splitting it to their ex-wife. And, um, but you're just kind of going off of that legal loophole and assigning it to yourself. Yeah. Regardless of a divorce. So I don't know how it works. There's guys who do it, but I don't know. I mean, just, if you're kind of just looking for options, because this is the hard part as, as a grinder here, you don't really have too many options, right? You just, it's, you got to wait till you save money and yeah. several months, something maybe yeah. just to look into. Well, and I'll tell you too, I mean, you know, if you look at the balance of this 401k being at $287,000, I mean, that's just such a glaring number uh, when, you know, I'm dying for cash to get these houses and I'm sitting there thinking, man, that $287,000 would go a long, long way, you know? And I've even run the numbers on if I, what if I were to take the penalty and go ahead and just pay the taxes, even the tax bracket that I'm in now, I forget, uh, I think it comes out to about $170,000, $170,000 is what would be left. And even then I think, man, that, 
can do a lot with that. So, so let's talk about that because I, I actually yeah. do talk to a lot of people who have like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in their four hundred one k, and they read that little purple book, and and for them it makes sense to take this take this money out strategically. You know, don't be a bonehead and take it all out in one year. Then your AGI is going to go up, and you're going to be in the fiftieth um, percentile on taxes. You know, mm-hmm. take take out. I mean, how how quickly can you buy houses, right? Like two a year. I mean, that's that's a lot, right? So take out mm-hmm. sixty grand every year or something like that, or fifty. So it, you yeah. you be under yeah. that highest tax bracket threshold. Um, I'll tell you, you know, once. You're not in this this category, but what these other guys are doing that they're taking like a hundred, two hundred out at one year, they're using like life settlement or not life settlements, but uh, land conservation easements or oil and gas investments to uh, mitigate that AGI. Um, but if they're really smart and they're in the syndications, you know they can. I was talking to Tom Wheelwright the other day, and he said, you know, if you invest a hundred grand in a deal because of the bonus depreciation, he's seen people getting $150,000 of depreciation just that first year. Damn, really? <laughs> wow. That, so, be huge. you know, that's, that's why I like the syndications, right? Because you can yeah. cost seg and all this magical stuff. Of course, that's just kicking the tax can down the floor. That's just um, deferment, right? Yeah. Well, but I mean, there's a way that you could keep that deferment going into perpetuity though right go on to the next deal right you have to be a drug yeah. addict you gotta keep <laughs> <laughs> right i mean and no the little bit that i understand about taxes which is very little but it does seem like there's always some way it, at the very least to defer it until you know way beyond your death so i mean i think that's kind of what what you're alluding to right here. i mean the what is it the government shutdown they always find some way to limp it along for another three to six months right same thing yeah. they're all thinking about their own paychecks at home and taxes they're always oh, talking yeah. about some kind of deferment way to defer the taxes if not yeah. wish it yeah right you know like opportunity so, zones or something like that uh, right so in this case i mean back to what you're saying about the you know say i took out sixty thousand. Because, you know, here's, here's another criteria that you can find for real estate uh, in this part of the world. And that is, you know, you could get a house that would be about $60,000 and that would be at a, let's say a 30 to 40% discount. Okay. So you buy it for 60, you know, you put 10 into it, it appraises, you know, 90, maybe close to a hundred and then you cash out refi. So you get your money back. I don't guess it works where you put that money back into the 401k by the end of the year, then you avoid the taxes that that doesn't work like that. Does it? No. I mean, you, you can, you can do the loan, right? That's another halfway step here too. Yeah. Um, And you know, maybe take out 30 and do the loan for the other 50 and then do the Indiana Jones switcheroo thing. Like you're saying. (laughs) Right. But I I would you know, I would strongly advise just taking it out in chunks. I mean, I, I paid the taxes and the penalty and penalty's nothing. I mean, 10%, give me a break. You're going to recoup that in six to 18 months easily. 
Yeah. Okay, man. I mean, you're speaking my language. That's for sure, Lane. Uh, do, do, do the, don't listen to me. Do the math yourself. The, math, the numbers will tell you what to do. Well, okay. So the last, um, you know, you can go on Google and you can basically Google, I'm going to take out of my 401k. How long would it take me to recoup? Okay. And I have run those numbers before and I would struggle to explain it really well. I'm going to give it a try. I'll kind of butcher it. So forgive me. But essentially I think after, you know, I'm, I'm in the 30, I think it's the 32% tax bracket. Okay. So I'm going to pay quite a bit on taxes. Let's say I take it all. Okay. Let's say I kind of ignore that part where you're saying just take the chunk, but I just take it all. And then I pay the penalty. Like I said, I would be down to $170,000. Yeah. But so I don't look at that, that big um, chunk you're paying. That's a wash. You're paying that now. You're paying it later. It's a wash. Don't even okay. think about it. Right. You following me? Okay, right. Yeah. The only, and, the only Delta is the 10% penalty. Okay. So and see, okay. let's just assume that I do account for the loss of the taxes as well as the 10%. I mean, some of these calculators that I've used, if I base it on, I think it's even like a 10% return on rental property, which, you know, you're right. It's much more than that. If you count in inflation and mortgage payback, and you know, if you want to put in appreciation in there, even, you know, I mean, it's only like a three to five year time frame to catch back up to where I would be if I just wrote this out, the 401k. So I mean, even if I'm talking about only a three to five year recovery period, you know, being kind of a middle-aged man that I am, that's really not a long time. Yeah. And, and I think the most important thing sense. is it's time to, right? Because right now, I mean, the, the, the classic trap people fall into is they use this as an excuse not to do anything. Oh, I got to wait till I just save my money. And yeah. They're forgoing all those three years of actually churning and churning. I mean, for all we know, Jason, you could be like the operator on the next deal we do, right? In two yeah. or three years. Yeah. I mean, Chattanooga is sure. a pretty, pretty good market, right? And that would never happen if you never took 30 grand out of your 401k, 10% well, of it. That their uh, never truer words have been spoken, that's for sure. And uh, as I've started whole journey i mean that that's really it's you know what are you willing to risk sometimes uh for the future gain and you know what you're talking about really in the grand scheme of things is not a huge risk now there is one i don't think it's a i I don't think it's a risk i think it's a risk keeping in the 401k i mean that's that's what i'm more concerned about. yeah and that's that's a great way to look at it i'd be sweating bullets if that were me (laughs) okay well, one other major hurdle that uh, we haven't really discussed that's not so much a financial deal. You know, there is that clause in there where in this case, if I were to make withdrawals out of this, I would have to have written spousal consent. So what does she say about all that? Yeah, so this is where we all come into the, um, you, you got to get your partner involved and I can't help you there, man. <laughs> right. It's like a Dr. Drew conversation or something like that. Or, yeah. You know, whoever that guy is these days, I don't know. You know. Dr. Just, Phil. Maybe it's Dr. Phil, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, an, that's another person to help you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? You've got Goldcrest, you've got Daytona, 
you got proof of concept. You're not like these other guys who don't have any liquidity other than their 401k and haven't done it before. You've got proof of concept. Yeah. Okay, man. Hey, um, I'm going to keep looking at it. I mean, you know, the last time we spoke over the phone, uh, you know, it's good to hear someone from this viewpoint because you definitely don't hear, I, I don't hear this kind of talk at all. You know, it's always like, you know, you're crazy to, to even touch it. You know, that's, that's generally the mindset that I'm surrounded by. Yeah. So, but you um, know what, try, try the loan, just do that. Cause that's essentially what you did with the HELOC, right? You, you didn't sell your primary residence. You just took the HELOC. Right. I just, I started using the lazy money. Right. And, and if you didn't have the 401k, that's where I would look next. I would sell the primary residence, cash that thing out, or the old primary residence, cash that yeah. out. Yeah. But this is, this is glaring, low-hanging fruit right here. This is where it is. And don't do the infinite banking thing. It's not for you quite yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, maybe if you want to try it out for a few grand, you know, four or five grand a year. Yeah. Like that, but. Well, I'll tell you the the whole life that i've been shopping around um you know you're you're right there it's 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 a five-year time frame before what i put into it or or the value of it is exceeded by what i put into it because you know you're paying the upfront fees and those kinds of things and really the way that it works well is that you just kind of slam a bunch of money into it it's kind of capital intensive as well i guess but you know, I'll tell you something that's a lot better: buying something like Daytona or Goldcrest. Right. Right. Do the numbers. Right. Just put it on a spreadsheet and see which one really grows in the next five years. Yeah. Because yeah. you know the the guy that I've been talking with on this whole life insurance. I mean, it's it's not really a a high pressure thing. The you know one thing that's been difficult about it is you know, it, it is a complicated product, you know, like how it's built and, you know, there's all these uh, paid up edition riders that need to be put on it. And there's these mech limits. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's super it's, complicated it's, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And cause you know, one of the big reservations I have about it is it's the old adage of, you know, don't invest in something that you don't understand. Right. And it's, it is difficult for me to really get a good grasp on that whole life insurance. Right. So I, I, I have reservations about it and I, I see what you're saying and, and I appreciate what you're saying because, you know, you're bringing a perspective to, you know, my, my finances that, you know, some of this stuff is in the back of my head where it's saying, Hey, don't, don't do that. You know, but with you saying it out loud, it, it, it just, it helps it even more. So, so I, I, I appreciate you saying it. I think with the whole life insurance, like I get what you're saying. And I, and I do that sometimes too. When, when people bring me like some random oil drilling deal or whatever, like I don't understand it, so I'm not going to do it. But I think the life insurance thing can be really, really complicated, but essentially it's, it's kind of simple. You know, it's a contract with a bank. There, there are ways they can customize it with lower on the death. So you know, they can design it with, you want low death payout. You want high uh, liquidity because you're trying to take the money in and out and you want lower on the, on the return, the interest. 
And that sounds counterintuitive, but they always take it from you in terms of fees. They always get it somehow, right? It's priced in. You pay, you pay for what you get. It's like a syndication deal when you're getting a higher pref and people just invest off a higher pref. But the general partner is not, not an idiot. If they're giving you a higher pref on the, on the get-go, they're either taking it in high fees or lower uh, LP splits in the back end. They're the smartest people in there. They're, they're going to get theirs one way or another. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and to just kind of know the infinite banking from like, uh, like, you know, don't kind of overcomplicate it. It's a tool. And, you know, to kind of even out liquidity, once you have a good amount of it coming in, that's kind of the, the purpose of it. It's not the end all be all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a big thing out there. Uh, you know, for one, the whole life insurance admittedly is, is kind of a fad, I think. Um, and you know, you hear a lot of people say, uh, well, that's what the super wealthy do, you know, so why not emulate what they do? The problem is, you know, definitely me, I am not the super wealthy, you know, like I'm just the regular middle-class American. Uh, so if I go trying to copy the super wealthy, uh, too much, it, it could get me in trouble. So that, that's another kind of reservation I have about the whole life insurance. Right, right. The super, super wealthy are already in like two dozen private placement deals and they have like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 of passive coming in a month. They don't know what the heck to do with it. So then they stuff the overflow in this infinite banking. And, yeah. And I, I mean, that I got up, caught up in the fat too. Like I said, I put a whole bunch my first year and the second year I was like, oh, oh, I got myself <laughs> too much. Right? I should have done like a tenth of what I should have done. And the yeah. nice thing about this stuff is you can layer on another one right on top of it, right? So you can kind of yeah. grow into it. Yeah, or or just go get another one. See, that that's kind of another thing about it too is, you know, this started out with like, hey, I'll put 4000 in this year and I'll pay a $400 a month premium. Well, now it's it's ballooned to this like, well, do 20,000 this first year because you need to put in an extra 10,000 for paid up addition riders and, and other such things. And then it's 10,000 a year in premiums for the next 15 or 20 years. I forget. And then, you know, at some point it does get to a point where you paid in so much and you're earning high enough dividends that, it's paying for it's you know the dividends are paying for the premium and the value is so high that you don't need to slam so much cash in there you can just let the dividends pay for the premiums oh i think you're i think you're i think you're listening to the kool-aid that they're telling you though (laughs) it's kind of true that's kind of true but like just just figure out what you what the money would have grown to if you would have bought more of these single family homes yeah i mean I, i think that's what we're saying here is like hey you know, if I have $10,000 a year, I don't need to be putting it in something like a whole life insurance. I need to be putting it in a rental. I mean, it's, it's, it's marketing tricks, right? I mean, syndicators use them too. They're like infinite returns and you're kind of like, Oh, that sounds really good. And then after on the drive home, you're kind of like, wait a minute, it wasn't quite infinite return. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, 
I mean, the charts that they're showing me, this one, it, it seems plain as day. You get to year 20 and, and it's, it, you know, the, the dividends pay the premiums because really to maintain the policy, the premium that needs to be paid is about $2,500 a year. So, yeah, but, but, but take, you, take that document because I know what you're talking about. There's this, they give you this big spreadsheet, it looks super cool, but just take, take their benefit of the doubt, take that number at the bottom of the page, what it's supposed to be, and then compare it to what you would get by just buying rentals. Yeah. And I, you know, I've even really just tried to compare it to the 401k, you know, quite frankly, uh, it's taken me 11 years to get to $287,000 on this 401k. Uh, to get to that amount of money and that whole life insurance is like 15 years to, to get to like a cash value amount. So, yeah, 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 exactly. And that's why I'm, it's actually... I'm not sure those are really adding up, you know what the, I mean? The, the 401k and like the 529 thing are complete garbage. You know, the safe money for your kids' uh, education, it really should be in one of these infinite banking deals because now you can yeah. take, put the money in and you can take the money right out and invest it for them in the 10 to 20 years you have to save. And then you can go take the cash value out or invest it again for them with, with cash flow. Yeah. I mean, it's, but that, that, this is just how horrible the 401k and 529s are. I mean, they're just vehicles, but the stuff that you're limited to investing in. Yeah, I mean, really, where the whole life insurance policy made more sense was, you know, I wish it would have been a choice. Hey, you can have a whole life insurance policy or you can have a 401k when I started the job. That was never going to happen, but had that been the option, the whole life insurance policy would have been more, would have made more sense in that case. Because I could get the cash, you know, I'd, I'd have it up to 250, 280, whatever right now. I'd be able to borrow out of it. Even though there might be less value there, I would still be able to use it at less of a penalty. Right. But that's that, not what they that said. Happened. Life insurance people sell. They don't sell well, and then banking type design. Yeah. And and that that would have had to have happened 11 years ago. So, I mean, it's really kind of a mute point at this, at this stage in the game. So, yeah. But you're on a plan here to um, buy a rental every year, right? Regardless. I mean, you're able to save that much. Um, I think if you, you kind of come up with a plan, it sounds like you got to talk with the boss there and you might be able to bump it up to two properties a year. I mean, in the next, few years you're going to be up to almost double digits and you know that's i think once you get up to six to ten rentals that's when things really start to get exciting i mean it took me so long just to get up to like that the 10 yeah i definitely so my goals here as far as the rentals go um last year it was to try to get 10 uh within two years um, I think I'm starting to realize that that might be a little lofty. Uh, I would be extremely satisfied if I were to gain three this year. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't really like those goals because I always hear it from like these young 10X kids. I'm going to get 100 units or whatever, and they don't have a jack. They don't even have a job. 
I think yeah. a good goal is to like look at how much money you're able to save a year and how much liquidity or tappable liquidity you have, like the 401k and come up with a good game plan of like, how much can you transfer from that illiquid money to rentals? Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. a, And I think for you, you could get a, 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 a grade C year for you would be one. A B would be two. I think an A for you would be a three. And just take it one year by one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I kind of feel like, I mean, getting the two last year. So there's there's two hurdles I have with acquiring rental properties right now. The biggest one is actually finding the deal that works. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the biggest one. I, honestly, getting the cash... I mean, if I had to, I'm starting to get out there and network even locally enough to where if I needed to get private money, it's available. And if you are able to buy a deal right, it would be the kind of deal where, you know, you could cash out refi and then, you know, get the money back out and then kind of rinse and repeat that sort of thing. So that that's, that's kind of a one option that's out there. And I, I think that might be one way to sort of uh, kind of speed the process up. Yeah. And I get the sense you like doing this a lot better than I do, you know, kind of going out, finding the deal and then, and working, you know, working the rehab. It's a sickness I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. It's got, you got a hobby, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. There, there is good and bad things with it. I mean, I, I think what you're alluding to is, you know, I spend a lot, a lot of time working on it. I spend a lot of time working in the houses. Um, oh, so you're actually doing the work. Yes. And I mean, that's something that I'm quite capable of doing. Uh, I, I also am able to create the time, not create, but I have the time to do it. But, you know, there's also the whole thing where I'm spending that time doing that work what if I use that time to get more deals or, you know, just check out other investments uh, that, you know, I may be sitting there doing 10, $15 an hour work when really I should be doing hundred, $200 an hour work. Yeah. I mean, well, you're hitting it right on the head. I mean, you're aware of it, so you'll get there. Yeah. Awareness is but right now, you know, unfortunately this is the system that I've created. It's the system that works even though there are things that I know there's still, there's still lots to learn. And, and these experiences, I mean, just like the spreadsheet that we're looking at here, um, you know, it's just all something to learn from. So, you know, I would like a lot of these numbers to start getting better. You know, a lot of these uh, differences in acquisition versus the appraisal of the properties, you know, I want that spread to increase the prices and the rentals to increase, which, is more of a market thing you know I, I definitely don't want to get into rentals that that are at the top of the market you know there's obviously those problems there but you know just looking at the spreadsheet I mean it's it's definitely something to learn from right right so I think you got some action items um you know you got to think about the 401k and then you've got the you know the goal of doing one to three deals a year and then you're kind of aware that you need to kind of step out of the business and and put your, your time more in high dollar an hour tasks. Was there anything off the top of your head? I mean, you got a game plan moving forward? 
you know, my criteria before has been the 1% rent to value. I'm going to start looking more at uh, distressed properties, you know, that are not uh, such a high acquisition number. And then, you know, another big thing, because especially this Brock Road house, there's some possibilities there of a, of a good cash out refi. So, you know, if I stick to a lower acquisition cost with more distress, you know, I can, I can cash out. It's a property that you'd be more likely to cash out refi. And I think that's a good way to uh, build up cash available to keep building a portfolio. I think that's the, that's a perfect plan. The, if I put on my Dr. Phil hat on, you know, the more, more risk you take on, the more chance of a, a burnout or, you know, dropping the ball here on a deal, which happens. And then now someone won't let you touch your 401k. Something to be yeah. mindful of. Yeah. Well, something I've, I've really kind of realized with the Brock Road and the Goldcrest house is, you know, there definitely the Brock Road, there was, it's, it was turnkey, but there were improvements that I realized I could make to add value to it, you know, especially like on the appraisal end. And I'm also realizing too, that if you're adding value to the house, uh, that adds appraisal value, it also adds rental value to it as well. So, you know, it's kind of the old two birds with one stone there. Yeah. The, the single point of failure I'm alluding to is like, you know, a contractor running off with your money or a bad appraisal coming back. That's kind of the, that's the whammy. Yeah. So with the strategy, yeah, the strategy I have going on, it's the appraisal value that is the risk. The contractor part I've eliminated because I am the contractor. Oh, so. okay. But also... You just engineered that one right out of the system there. <laughs> right. And, but it's keeping my rehab costs so, so, so low. Okay. And it's, it's, it's really a pretty big advantage at this point. So it's kind of, it's like you say, I mean, that's, that's part of the way I've engineered the system. And if it's going to be successful with what I'm doing, then you know, that's what I'm going to have to do. And it works. Well, you know, maybe an option would be just to sell the dang properties. And so you don't have to worry about the operation, go on the passive deals and just keep doing what you'd like to do. Just hold on to one, two properties at a time and just keep churning this, put it, keep putting into the incredible machine. Yeah. Well, so there's, uh, you know, Changing my criteria is one focus. Uh, another thing I've really started focusing on lately, I'm, I'm starting to put, you know, focus more on my marketing. Um, and by marketing, I'm doing mailers now. You know, essentially, if someone calls me tomorrow um, saying that they want me to buy their house, what I'll end up having to do most likely is wholesale the deal. And, you know, which is, kind of a good way to build some cash. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there are some other angles there or, you know, let's just say I'm kind of building the pipeline. Right. Right. Here's, here's when I say you need to stop doing that is if come, if you're not on track to do two a year, you need to stop doing that stuff. Cause you're, you're the um, critical path at that point. You're slowing things down. Yeah. But you you have the financial, um, 
you have the financials that do two or three, even three a year. That's why I said it at two. Okay. I mean, you're saying even this year, you know, based on the numbers we talked about before, there should be no issue with me getting. Yeah. It, it, of, I mean, I would say, out. you know, check, check in here in the late summertime. If you're not getting into your second deal, that's a sign. Okay. Right. They're yeah, just, honestly, just screwing around in the business. Or I, I forgot what the saying is, you know, on working on your business, not in the business or I yeah. guess the other way around. Yeah. Right. Right. Like uh, the business owns you, you don't own the business, that kind of thing. You're an operator, not an owner. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Lane, I really would like to acquire another house by March. Um, I got a lot of feelers. I actually uh, looked at a house. Let's see, was it? It was, uh, what's the day, Friday? I looked at one Wednesday um, and I emailed the guy. Well, when I left him in person, uh, we were still kind of far apart on the numbers, but I was like, I told him the offer. I was like, I'm going to offer you $150,000 in this house. And he was asking like 168 which really I think he probably could get it. It it turned out it was much closer to retail than I realized uh, when I got there. Like the pictures, you never know, you know, it's like, Hey, that looks pretty nice, but you get there in person and it's not that way. Well, this one was, was more retail. So anyway, long story short, um, I said, Hey, I realize you got a really good house here, but you know, this is kind of my criteria. 150, I could, you know, I could make this happen. And he's like, well, you know, it's not what I'm looking for. I was like, I understand, but I'm going to email you my offer. So just so you have it in writing. Right. So actually he emailed me back, uh, just a couple of hours ago and he's down to 159. So, I mean, it, it is possible, you know, I, I could get this, at least this <laughs> next one sooner rather than later. So, and you know, I do have this, you know, mailing campaign going on right now and you know i said talking about wholesaling some of them but i mean if the right one comes along i very well could just buy it and you know i i've definitely i keep the 401k strategy in the back of my mind well i'll leave you with um parting words for my entrepreneur mastermind um where the, the coach has told me on two occasions when i'm on the hot seat on a conference call that I will continue to be spinning around with my head on fire unless I find other good people to work for me. And this is like a year ago. Long story short, I'm still in the same position. I still do everything myself, but so <laughs> take the advice. Don't do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, man, I completely agree. I, you know, I said than not. Yes. I, I mean, I have, uh, I do, you know, I have a coach as well. And, you know, one of my big things that I've been talking about with him lately is trying to narrow my focus. Okay. Sure as the world, it's, it's always easier said than done. So cool. Yeah. Check in, check in with me and um, maybe about six months. And I, I don't know if this will be live yet because I'm, uh, I, I'm going down to like two podcasts a week and I just have a huge backlog in this. So maybe that'll be your, uh, your accountability that there'll be a checkup at the end of this call. Once the screen flashes black, and I'm coming back and tell, tell the world what Jason's up to these days. But um, thanks for, um, thanks for jumping on and 
and sharing this this up to the folks and uh hope you guys got a lot of um, value out of it and um, sign up for the Huey Do Pipeline Club and uh, we'll see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.